Abraham was as good as dead, but was alive. Everyone is dead in Adam, but can be made alive in Christ. But in order to be made alive, you must actually be dead. Welcome to Day of the Gospel, equipping you to know God through His Word and His Son, Jesus Christ. My name is Keith, and this is Brandon, and we are pastors here in Santa Cruz, California at Gospel Community Church. Welcome, like, subscribe, comment to get the gospel out there, and we hope this is profitable for you as you read through the Bible. Yeah. We're in the Book of Romans, week two in the oh, Book of amazing. Romans. It's amazing. Yes. By the way, if you're just joining us midway through the year here, um, make sure you check out the reading plan so you can read with us. That's sort of the whole the whole point of this. So yeah. you can read, learn as you go, and hopefully get some tools to understand the word better. So hopefully that intro is as clear as the Book of Romans. Yeah. I mean, yeah. in parts, it, it does feel like that intro. Yeah. Yeah, it does. I mean, there's some parts where it's like, is this Yoda talk or... But I think we can get some clarity on what's what's going on in the gospel of or the book of Romans, <laughs> which is all Romans. about the gospel. Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean yeah. it really is. Um, so that's what the book is all about. We said last week it's all about explaining the gospel, and um, we saw the outline last week, which we took from D. A. Carson and Doug Moo. Mm. I can't think of like a name that sounds more like a theologian than D. A. Carson, and one that sounds less like a theologian than Doug Moo. Moo. <laughs> Like with a name like Moo, you <laughs> you're going to be consigned to a lifetime of dairy farming or something, yeah, exactly. right? But yeah, yeah, yeah. anyway, they have a great intro to the New Testament. So their their outline, which I think is perfect, the first four chapters is the gospel as the righteousness of God by faith, and then five through eight is the gospel as the power of God for salvation. Chapters nine to eleven, the gospel in Israel, and then we end the book um, with the gospel and the transformation of life. So good outline, I think it's going to help us, and we'll see a lot of the theology here, and then we'll end with more of the practical side. Again, all theology is practical, okay? I know, wow. I know. But we'll, yeah, at the end, we'll kind of bring it down to earth a little bit more. So we've been talking about how salvation is by grace through faith, mm-hmm. apart from works of the law. Yep. And that key verse, the theme verse of Romans is Romans 1, 16 and 17. Um, and when we saw it there, the gospel which saves, right? Mm-hmm. So we see the gospel, which reveals the righteousness of God, and we define righteousness as God's acts, but also as something that God does for us. It's to be received by faith. So God gives to us the righteousness of Christ and makes us just in his eyes. So we saw those two truths, the righteousness of God and how it's applied by faith. And then we also saw with that quote from Habakkuk, that this is consistent with the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. So all these ideas are very important, that this is just an unfolding, a revealing of what we've been learning as we went through the Old Testament as well. Right. And that's why we call this Daily Gospel, and every week we're trying to, even in the Old Testament, talk about how it applies to mm-hmm. the, the New Testament, to the good news of Jesus, right. because everything leads to that. Mm-hmm. So that's what, that's where we're at. We, we went through chapters one through three last week, and now we're in chapter four. And the question is raised, well, what about Abraham? As we've been looking about at, you know, well, there's no justification by the law. Well, what about before the law? What about someone like Abraham who was around before the Mosaic law? And, and so that's what's brought up in chapter four. And the answer is pretty clear. Um, he's, he quotes from Genesis 15, 6. Mm-hmm. Genesis 15, 6. And if you haven't listened to our videos on Genesis, go back and check those out. It'll be really helpful to understand the context of Abraham. But that key verse is Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Mm. So that's quoted in Romans 4.3. And so what it's showing us is that 
this was said before the law was given. So it wasn't as if Abraham was a good person and that's what saved him or made him accepted by God or why God chose him, but rather it's that Abraham, like every single person throughout all of history, he was saved by his belief, his trust in the promise of God. Right. So he was believing in Jesus, even though he didn't know that name. He's believing in the promise of an offspring, the promise of the land, the promise of blessing, all these things. And that was fulfilled ultimately in Jesus. And so based on that word from the Old Testament, again, 15 chapters into the Old Testament, mm-hmm. I mean, this is this is ABCs of the Jewish faith. He says in Romans 4, 4, now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Mm-hmm. So he's directly contrasting working with faith. Mm-hmm. He's saying the one who doesn't work, right? If you work, then you get a wage. And the wage of our works, is, as we saw earlier, is death. No. So he, he's, he's saying, no, you have to actually not work, and you have to believe instead. So this is, this is very, very important to understanding Paul's gospel. Mm-hmm. And he goes on to talk about, the, he quotes from the Psalms, right? Just as David, verse 6, also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Mm-hmm. Like he really can't be more explicit right. in saying these two things are antithetical. It's not grace plus works, mm-hmm. or it's not as if works is just a nice addition to faith. It's that in terms of justifying you, these things are totally opposed. Yeah. What a, what a thing to read like in certain parts of the church history, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Pre-Reformation. And yeah, I mean, I guess even today in the, the Catholic church, I mean, it's the first thing that comes to mind, but he, I guess in Protestant circles where, you know, you know, even today in culture where you're looking to prove your faithfulness and your allegiance to the culture by doing all these good, weird things like posting a black box or whatever. Yeah, then, absolutely. Yeah, there's uh, many examples we could give, right, of how we try to fit in with the culture or show that we are a good person yeah. by something that humans... But it's, yeah, it's all nil. Any human works is all nil, right? That's why yeah. we need Jesus. So Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so he, he's pointing out here that Abraham received righteousness from God before the law was given, mm-hmm. before even circumcision. That's yeah. super important because yeah. circumcision was sort of that initial sign of inclusion into the people of God. Mm-hmm. And he's saying, no, this, this righteousness that was given to him didn't come from any outward works. Right. Even the identification with the people of God. Right, yeah. And so it's all about faith, 100% faith. Right. So faith is the instrument of justification. It's, it's the instrument that God uses for us to receive the grace of God. Yeah. Um, it's not just that, well, Christ is the one who does it, and therefore we don't do anything. It's actually that we can't access that except by stopping work, right, by trusting in him. So this is all super important. So the next few verses, he goes through that about how circumcision was a picture of that faith, but it wasn't, um, it it was, you know, given after the faith, essentially. It wasn't the the cause of the faith. Yeah, like that's the question that I'm always asking, like, or like the people should be asking when they're reading this too, is like, how do you get faith then? Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, So verse 16, we'll just go down a little bit here. He says, that's why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, mm-hmm. not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, right. yeah. who was the father of us all. So Abraham is the father of all those who believe. Mm-hmm. So he's obviously the father of Jewish people, but as we'll see more you know, later in the book of, of Romans as well, this is all about faith. Mm-hmm. So Paul just, I mean, he couldn't really be more explicit about this <clears throat> in chapter four. 
And then verse 18, it says, In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. Hmm. So he's pointing to the, the nature of his faith. And I love this because he's saying, Abraham was sold. He was basically dead. He's as good as the dead. Language is so yeah, funny. It's, it's just, just dead. <laughs> which I, Hebrews uses the same language. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, pretty funny. Wait, so you're saying Hebrews is written by Paul? Definitely not. Dang it. Definitely so not. Um, <laughs> and, and so, yeah, we see, we see um, you know, this, this statement of he was as good as dead. His wife did not have the ability to bear children. You know, we, we had some, some conversations in my community group about, well, you know, Sarah was 90 years old, but. In that day, maybe it wasn't that old because, you know, they lived to be 120 or whatever. And I would point to this verse. As good as dead. That's <laughs> pretty clear that this was a miraculous occurrence. So he trusted in God, right? He believes in God, and therefore God counts that to him as righteousness. Verse 22, right? That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But he says these weren't written for just for us or for, for just for him or just for the Old Testament people, but they're written for us too. So that we can understand that we have faith in Jesus Christ, right? right? We tr- put our faith in Jesus Christ, and we have justification through Him. Mm. So, very important chapter. And then we get to chapter five, and it's the massive statement that it starts with, where it says, "Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ." So, again, to be really clear, how are you made just? How are you made righteous? How are you righteousified? To use you know the, the understanding of that word dikaiosune, um, you're justified by faith. That's how you're made right in God's eyes. It's not by anything else. Right. And so we now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. How do we get peace from the the ages long warfare between God and man? That we in our lives every day oppose God's will mm. and we seek our own way. We're rebels against Him. How do we have peace in that battle? Right. It's because Jesus has paid the price to make us righteous. And so now there's no more warfare to be had. Yeah. Amen. That's peace on earth, right? Going back to Luke chapter two, uh, goodwill toward men. So a massive statement here. And we're going to kind of go through chapter five a little bit faster, but look at verse eight, very famous verse. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Mm. Great memory verse. If you have memorized that one, that's uh, my my daughter who's now five, but she memorized that one. It's a great nice one, dude. right? That's, that's John 3, 16, Romans 5, 8. These are some of the key ones that should be in your heart that should just remind you yeah. of your entire life of God's love for you. Um, look at verse 12. He's going to get into a comparison here, which will also occur in 1 Corinthians 15, comparing... Adam and Christ, Christ as the second Adam yeah. or the new Adam. Um, Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Okay, this is an important statement, and there's going to be a question here of what exactly is Paul talking about. Mm-hmm. Is he saying that death came to everyone because everyone chose sin on their own? Or is he saying that in Adam's sin, right. death comes to everyone because everyone sins in Adam? Mm-hmm. Those are very, very important and distinguishing things. And so some people would take the idea of original sin is that, you know, we all sin in Adam, so we all have this kind of sin nature, but we don't have guilt. Mm. 
But I think what's happening here, what's, what he's saying here is that we actually receive guilt from Adam's transgression, mm. that we actually are born guilty. Mm-hmm. And that's part of why you know infants and, and babies in the womb can die. Mm-hmm. It's part, part of the curse of sin, right? So everyone dies because everyone sinned in Adam. Mm-hmm. So this is the idea from the Old Testament of corporate solidarity, of one person standing head. for the whole. Mm-hmm. Right, representing the whole, and so what the leader does affects everyone underneath them. Yeah. But what Paul's going to show us is, even though that's a hard truth, that you can inherit guilt from Adam's sin, that there's someone else who does the reverse. That Christ reverses that, and just as we inherit the sin of Adam, right. we can now inherit the righteousness of Christ, right. and even greater uh, grace is given than the curse that was given. Right. So look at verse fifteen. He says, "The free gift is not like the trespass." For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. So he says, obviously, there's similarities here. Mm-hmm. Adam and Christ, they're two sides of, the, of that coin. But he's saying there's a huge difference here, which is that the work of Christ brings life to everyone. That's right. the obvious you know, antithesis of what Adam did. And so verse, verse 18, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Mm. So this is where we're getting clearer on what original sin is. Right. It's not just that we have some sort of tendency towards sin because of Adam. It's that we actually have condemnation mm. because of Adam. A condemnation is the opposite of justification. Mm. Right? Condemnation is the opposite of being righteous. It's that you receive the wrath of God. Yeah. So clearly, it seems, it seems like clearly here, He's saying we have an imputed guilt, a mm-hmm. guilt that's been passed down because of Adam. But the opposite is also true. We have imputed righteousness because of Christ. Look at verse 19. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many were made righteous. So it, it's he's saying this is, this is the same kind of function that's happening here. So Christ as the second Adam, Right. Adam was in a situation where he was without a sin nature. Mm-hmm. He was a, a truly neutral being, if you want to use right. that term, in the sense of he could choose sin or he could choose righteousness. Mm-hmm. And in that neutral state, he chose sin mm-hmm. and Eve obviously with him. And because of that, we all inherit that sin nature. Jesus Christ was the first human since Adam to be in that position, to be in a place where he could choose evil or he could choose good. Right. Right. He wasn't bound by a sin nature. And Jesus, even though he was afflicted by all the temptations that we have, and even though he was born in uh, our broken flesh, he resisted all those temptations and chose righteousness mm. and then gave his life for us. And in, in that sacrifice, he does the reverse of what Adam did. Mm. He spreads blessing to all men. He reverses the curse, and he gives instead righteousness. So maybe this is ABCs for you. I, I don't know. But I think it's so important to understand exactly how this works and what Paul's saying here. I mean, meditate on this. Think through these passages. Like, really soak this in. This is important to understand. Well, I mean, I, I think it's super important to understand that because if you ignore that or you toss it away, like, you you take away the whole need for Jesus, right? Yeah. So if you don't have that idea of this kind of original sin, then you're more likely to go to other things other than Jesus to be saved. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. And look at verse 20, which is just, I think, just raises the bar. He says, Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Um, so, yes, there's the law 
as we're going to see a lot more, the law has a good function, which is to increase the, the, our clarity on what sin is, mm-hmm. to increase sin, so to speak, right, as he's saying here. So the law shows what sin is, magnifies it, exposes it, and it multiplies. Mm-hmm. But the whole idea there is that grace can abound. Mm. As we see how sinful we are, because we look at God's law and we understand that we are really messed up, God also gives more and more grace. Mm. So the natural response to that is, well, if grace abounds when there's more sin, right. then shouldn't we sin a lot so God can give a lot of grace? Makes sense. So that's that's where chapter 6 comes in, right? What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? It's a great question, <laughs> right? And again, you can only... When Paul asks questions in Romans, you should be asking the same question. Yeah, exactly. If you're not asking that question, go back and examine what you missed. So here what he's saying is, this grace is so free, it's so amazing. It's not based on works or anything that you've done. Yeah, so maybe works don't matter at all. Maybe we should all just sin. So if you're not asking that after chapter 5, you've kind of missed something. Right. That's. I mean, he wants you to be amazed and stunned at how lavish God's grace is. Mm. But he has to also temper that. He's okay, let's correct that. Let's make sure we don't misunderstand. So he clarifies here. He says, by no means. This is a very strong no in Greek. By no means. Um, He says, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Mm. So he points not to justification, not to say, well, you have to be good so that God will love you. No, he actually flips that around. He says, God loves you and you have this new identity in Christ. So how could you not live in line with that identity? Right. If God's proclaimed this yeah. of you and he's, he's captured you for his will, how could you not then strive to live in his will? Right. And so this is what he's doing. In verse 3, he talks about baptism. Very helpful verse for baptism. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Mm-hmm. So you died with Christ. That's the picture of baptism is being buried with him, right? That your old self is dying. And then verse 4, he says, we were baptized therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Hmm. So you died, a new self is raised up, God makes a new creation. So if that is how God sees you, as a justified person, as a righteous person, because of his gift, you have to live in line with that. Right. You, you have to live, live consistent. You live and you will. Yeah, yeah you will. It's inevitable yeah. because God's grace is that powerful. Right. So so let's strive for that. Yeah. Let's 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 ask God for more of that. Yeah, and then like also like I feel like this could also serve as a, a little bit of a warning too. If there's no transformation in your life, like do you actually know the love of Christ, you know? Yeah. So yeah, it's great self-examining section of scripture. Yeah. yeah. And it's important I think to understand how we should view ourselves. Is it right for a Christian to say that we are sinners? Mm-hmm. Well, in a sense, yeah. If you're just saying people who sin, then I totally get that, right? Mm-hmm. We are all people who sin. There's never going to be a time, even when you get to the end of your life and you're, you're much more sanctified, you're still going to sin. But the category of sinner is not the category that Christians are in. Right. And that's an important thing to remember. Because yeah, we've been imputed the righteousness. Yes. Right. So yeah. we should. We are saints, yeah. I know that word is has been co-opted by Catholics for, you know, people that are basically idols and whatever, but but that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about holy ones. You have been made if you believe in Jesus, you've been made holy. Right. So view yourself as that. You're you're a you're not a sinner who just happens to be saved, right? You're someone who is sanctified, made holy by God, who happens to sin. 
<laughs> who fails. And yeah. so that shouldn't identify who you are. Yeah, you're not a perfect saint. Like, you're being made perfect in Christ. So in a sense, you're perfect, but you're yeah. not quite there yet. And this is probably my biggest... I, I don't necessarily have a beef against 12-step programs, but I think probably my biggest sure, sure, complaint... Sure. Uh, yeah, I, I haven't looked into it a ton, but my biggest, my biggest complaint on the surface would be that, you know, for a Christian 12-step program, for someone to get up there and say, hi, I'm Bob, and I'm an alcoholic... I want to say no, no. You're 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 a saint, mm. and you also are still struggling with this indwelling sin. Right. Yeah. The That's very different. Identifying marker is not the habitual sin. It's you know your placement in relation to Christ. Yes. You know? yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So so in verse eleven here he says, "So you must also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus." That's what I'm talking about. You're dead. So that old man is gone. You're alive now. So start living like that. Yeah. And that's what the next few verses are about. He says, verse 13, do not present your members, meaning your body parts, to sin as instruments of, for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. What a great passage. So yeah, we see some of the implications, right? Yeah, that's an amazing passage. Another good memory verse. If you're struggling with a certain sin to say, wait, I can't present my body to do what is dishonoring to God because I'm not under that dominion of sin anymore. Mm. I have the spirit living within me. I have the ability to change. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it takes that reminder for the Christian to realize to step into that new life more. Yeah, you know? and it's something that I think we sometimes diminish or misunderstand as Christians. Mm. We think it's just about what well, God forgives me yeah, but God also gives you the power to change yeah. in that new identity. So mm-hmm. embrace that. <laughs> change. Um, verse 15, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Yeah. So he's going to say, no, you're not a sin of the old life. You're a, you're a slave of, of righteousness. Mm-hmm. You're a slave of righteousness. But we should get to chapter 7 real quick because chapter 7 I think is super important. So in the first part he talks about how the law is only binding on someone as long as they're alive. Yeah. Right? So if you're married to a, a woman and if she dies, you're free to remarry. Or I think he uses a woman married to a man, but whatever, you know. Either way, if someone dies, they're freed from that covenant. And so what he says in verse 4 is that this is true for us in regards to the law. Verse 4, likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law hmm. through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another. So you're dead to that old way. The, the law isn't binding on you in that sense. Mm-hmm. And so you're free. And then he goes into, okay, let's talk more about the law. So in verse 7, he, he explains the law is not sinful, and yet the law produces more sin is kind of the yeah. argument. And so it's, it seems confusing. He's saying, you know, I didn't, I didn't even know what it was to covet before I read the law. You should not covet. And then I immediately wanted to covet everything. <laughs> sin sprang up inside of me, right, and mm-hmm. took advantage of that. And so he says, verse 11, for sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it, killed me. So, his conclusion is, so the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. So he's saying, the law allows sin to come alive and kill me, therefore the law is good. Well, how is that, how is that, you know, how is that a good thing? Well, this is part of the function of the law. It's not just to teach you how to be good. It's not just to show civil rulers how to lead Mm -hmm. it's also to kill you to show you that you can never be righteous and therefore to point you to christ it's like when jesus says you therefore shall be righteous as your 
your father in heaven is right is righteous, mm-hmm. right? Matthew five forty, I think it's it like, is. Uh. Uh, well, that should discourage you, right? <laughs> That's a high bar, yeah. and I don't think you're doing a great job with that. So, what the whole idea there is that the law shows you how sinful you are, so that you can see your desperate need for Jesus. Mm. Um, so, he goes on to ask that question: Did, did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good mm. in order that sin might be shown to be sin. So sin, you know, in reaction to what is good, becomes more clearly sin. Mm. And he says, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. So it clarifies, it shows us. So if you're reading God's word, you're going to be seeing, you're going to be feeling guilty a lot. And that's actually a good thing, according to Paul, mm. because it points you to not to, you have to work harder, but to, you need Jesus. Right. You need forgiveness. Yeah. So he goes on to talk in this passage about this struggle he has, mm. um, the struggle with sin that he, he wants to do good, but it, evil is close at hand. The question here is, is he's talking about someone who is not a Christian or someone who is a Christian? Mm-hmm. I, I would say he's talking about someone who is a Christian, and verse 22 seems to indicate that, right, where he says, I delight in the law of God in my inner being. Mm-hmm. So that's not the words of someone who's a non-Christian, but he's saying, I still struggle yeah. with sin. I still struggle. Um, and the idea here is that there's the flesh and the spirit, and the flesh is that indwelling sin. Mm-hmm. Even though you are a Christian, even though you're not a sinner by definition, you still have the flesh, this old man, hanging on to you. Mm-hmm. And so you have to, you know, day by day, try to, try to mortify that, to kill that, mm-hmm. to put away the old man and to take on the new man. Yeah. And so he, he points to that struggle... Verse 21, he says, I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Mm. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another war law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. So he says, I, I'm I'm stuck. You know, I'm I'm really broken because I want to do good, but I can't do good. Mm. And so this is I think this is reassuring to me that Paul understood this. That he struggled with this, that he had this battle, but he also gives us an answer, right. which is at the end here. He says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Hmm. So this is the struggle of sanctification. Yeah. Uh, of, you know, we, ha- we know who we are in Christ. We have this new identity, but day to day we still struggle, we still fail. Mm-hmm. And what Paul's showing us here is that there's there's hope, right? You can be justified through Christ. You can have peace with God, and also that God's going to, over time, through His Spirit, sanctify you. Mm-hmm. That through that battle, He's going to bring goodness and blessing into your life. Yeah, yeah, Amen. Yeah, I mean, I always go back and forth, like, why would God plan it that way? What does He just take away our sin right now? You mm-hmm. know. But, Absolutely. Yeah, it gives him opportunity to work and our ungodliness for him to be lifted up higher. I think. Ultimately. Yeah, so. and I think I think a good good takeaway would be that our sanctification requires the gospel as much as our justification. Yeah, that we're we're justified, we're made righteous by our faith in Jesus, but our sanctification is going to work in a very similar way. Mm-hmm. Yes, we're striving. Yes, we want to do good works, obviously, but the the way that's going to happen is through the same good news mm. by knowing who we are that we've been rescued by Jesus, that we've been called something different, and by putting on that reality every single day. Yeah. So we need that 
gospel, not just as an, an entry thing, right? As yeah. a get, get in the door, but as something that goes with us along the journey of our faith. Yeah, I mean, you hear it every single week at church. So, yeah. Awesome. Thanks for joining us for Daily Gospel. We'll see you next week for the next stage of Romans.